Welcome to this episode of TechLink in Conversation. I'm Eddie Grant, a Director of Technical Connection. During our conversations, we seek to review the topical bulletins published on TechLink, our knowledge management tool for all things tax, trusts, pensions, and much, much more. I'm delighted to be joined by Simon Martin, our Regional Technical Connection Manager, who works with advisors sharing great planning hints and tips. Thank you for joining us today, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Eddie. And you? Yeah, brilliant, thanks. Really good. Um, just thinking about um, your role, so you regularly present to groups of financial planners and have a, have a lot of great um, discussions with them. Um, what have you got planned for our conversation today? Yeah, thanks, Eddie, and thanks for having me along. So as as you say, as, as financial planners in our industry, providing really great advice to our clients is, is really the core of, of what we do. And and many of those you know paths of advice that we walk our clients down are are well worn. Um, but for me, it's really important to to frequently and carefully consider how can we take our kind of existing strategies and planning that we use and make them even better. So how can we answer questions such as you know. How do we make our plan even better? How can we add even more value to our clients? So today, what I'm planning to talk around is how we can take some well-established, you know, tools and strategies we've used for a number of years with our clients and make them even better. And we can look at some examples, which hopefully will be useful. But of course, that'll only give me the opportunity to consider, you know, one or two. So really, what I'd like everyone to take away from this is. That for you to go and think about your own strategies used with clients and just consider there's any way that you can make them better, even 10% better. How can you take what you already do and improve it? And that's really going to be the, the theme of the of the podcast today. Brilliant. So I believe your first planning idea relates to allowances, exemptions. Um, are you able to share that with us a little, please? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we know that using allowances, using exemptions is is really important. And any good financial planner will will do that. And I was reading a, a paper recently from Russell Investments. And if you've not seen it, I'd say it's well worth a look. And they quantify the value of advice. They put a, a value around advice and, and they, they cover lots of different areas within it. And as I said, it's it's well worth a read. And in their report, they say that 0.66% can be added per annum by being tax efficient. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but over half a percent extra per annum compounded over many, many years will make a, a material difference to, to all of our clients. So what does this mean? What does it relate to? For, for, for most people, it gives the... the it's all around the use of our annual exemptions. You know, all the things we know really, really well, you know, inheritance tax exemptions, dividend allowance, saving rate allowance, CGT, all of those things that are, that are well known to, to all of us. But by combining the allowances and combining the exemptions, their effectiveness can be multiplied even further and even more value can be added. When this is combined with what um, Albert Einstein allegedly, never proven, but allegedly called the eighth wonder of the world, compound interest, the impact on a client's net position can be significant. Shall I give you an example? Please, thank you. So let's assume you tell your clients that they should use their annual £3,000 IHT exemption every year. 
that's a good idea. That's a good bit of planning because, yes, you can carry it forward one year if it's unused. But for most people, if you don't use it, it's wasted. So let's assume we've got a, a couple who gave away their £3,000 annual gift exemption to an adult child for 30 years. That would cost them, over the 30-year period, £180,000. But of course, the family at large would have an inheritance tax saving on that because that money is going to be gifted. It's not subject to inheritance tax on their death. So the net cost when you factor in inheritance tax is £108,000 because of that, you know, the IHT saving. So already you've done a good bit of work. They've given away 180000 and saved inheritance tax. But how can we make that even better? What else could they do? Let's assume they've got a higher rate taxpaying daughter who took the £6,000, put that into a pension, which would then be grossed up to £10,000 per annum. So on an annual basis, you've got £10,000 invested at a net cost to the family of 3,600. So that's the pension contribution grossed up and the impact to the inheritance tax as well. So that's already a fantastic piece of planning. You've used more than one inheritance tax or tax relief to turn 3,600 into 10,000. But let's assume that grows at 5% a year. What would you think that that would be worth when um, daughters have invested that for, for 30 years at 5%. What do you think, Eddie? Five years of t- compound growth, what do you think the, the net return will be? I have no idea at all. That's why I'm pleased to say that's why you're here, because you <laughs> know the answer. Well, I've got a compound interest calculator. So assuming that grows at 5% a year for 30 years, that would be worth 741000 or thereabouts. So by careful planning, by using allowances, mm-hmm. using exemptions over the long term with compound interest, you've turned 108,000 into 741,000. You've nearly filled up the daughter's lifetime allowance by careful planning. And these are the kind of things that, if you think right back to the start, yes, giving 3,000 pounds a year away is, you know, is a great thing to do. It saves inheritance tax, but does it make a material difference? Well, when you compound a strategy over a long term and use more than one gifting and more than one allowance and exemption actually you've made a real material difference to that family now that's just one example and the numbers of course are, are, are there to 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 fit this specific one but my challenge to you is think about what else do you do that you could you know bring together and bring alive and compound and uh, and multiply to make it even more powerful so, so hopefully that gives you a, a bit of an overview of um you know, just one example of things that you can do and we can do for, for our clients. That's brilliant. Um, so just thinking about uh, one of the, the themes you picked up around RHT planning. So it's clearly a really important area. Um, so we now are in a situation where allowances have been frozen and the nil rate band is fixed until uh, 2026. What planning ideas can be used in this area? Well, as, as, you, as you know, and as, as everyone listening knows, there are, there are endless things you can do from making gifts to creating trusts to to business relief. And and business relief, is, I think, is an area which I'd like to look at a little bit today. Because for the right client, as you can probably imagine, it's potentially very attractive, securing an inheritance tax advantage in just two years. Now, of course, the nature of the underlying investment means that 
We need to make sure that the levels of risk are appropriate for the clients we're, we're talking to. But for the right client, this is can be very, very good planning. Securing uh, an inheritance tax reduction in just two years. So if your clients are you know, very elderly or have got, not got great health or who want to secure that in just two years, it creates a good opportunity. However, my question, my thought here is, can it be improved? How can we make that advice even better? And for me, the challenge arises where the business relief investment is left to, the, to a spouse on death and the surviving spouse is potentially younger. So the surviving spouse must then hold that investment until their death, because really that's when the business relief is crystallized. So what typically happens is you can probably imagine you've got husband and wife being very typical. One of them takes the investment out, they die, and their will leaves everything to their spouse. That's fairly typical. Now, where the spouse is much younger or potentially a lot healthier, the second death may not happen until some quite some years in the future. So essentially what it means is that client is then, or the surviving spouse, now client, is holding the high-risk investment for quite some time. So yes, the first death has secured business relief, but in some ways, because it's passed to a spouse, you haven't really got much benefit because it would have passed between them in any case. So essentially then the second spouse has to hold it until their death, and it raises a number of risks. You know, what happens if the legislation changes? Is that level of risk associated with the investment appropriate for the second spouse? There's a lot to think about. So one planning idea that I'm talking to a lot of advisors about at the moment is to create a discretionary trust in the will of your investing client. So your client makes the investment in the business relief asset and they go to a good solicitor who draws up a discretionary trust in their will into which any business relief asset, qualifying asset is passed on first death, giving them some quite interesting benefits. They don't need to hold the high risk investment any longer than necessary. As soon as they've passed away, they can pass it to the discretionary trust and they've crystallized the business relief. It means that within the trust, the trustees can, if appropriate, reinvest into something which is perhaps more risk appropriate or potentially something like an investment bond in the trust that can pay an income to the spouse who's a beneficiary of that trust. It also reduces the risk that legislation might change in the future around business relief. What if that changes? What if they say you have to be a director of the firm? What if they scale back the scope of the relief? this starts to potentially take away some of the risk. It also gives the opportunity to provide to our clients the control and protection that comes with a trust, the control and protection around bloodline planning, around divorce, around bankruptcy, around care homes, and all those things that trusts typically provide great protection from. But it also gives us, as planners, the opportunity to engage further with the next generation. The next generation who ultimately going to benefit from that trust. It's a great way to include them in trustees and to outline to them the planning that you've done to demonstrate how you've benefited them as part of the family. So it's a great way to reduce risk over the longer term, crystallize some benefits and also engage with the next generation. Important to remember as well, if you've 
got a client that you've missed the boat for, you didn't create a trust in the will, you have got two years to execute a deed of variation. So don't forget about that. There's lots of opportunities. So really, as I was saying, business relief is a great opportunity for the right client or the right client group because it allows you to de-risk a portfolio, uh, sorry, to, to remove an IHT within two years. But thinking about the extra piece, the business relief discretionary trust in the will gives you some real good opportunities. And it's also great to build some relationships with local solicitors because you'll need someone to, to appropriately create that, that will. So hopefully that's a, a, a useful one. I think it's one that I think can just add a little bit to what you're possibly already doing at the moment. Yeah, that's that's really great. And as I as I sit here and think about you talking about trust, and I know you've you've been talking a lot about the trust registration service, um, and, and it probably is quite a good time not to talk about the service, but 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 the importance of actually um, working with your trustees and actually perhaps assessing whether they're the right trustees. Is is that the right lead trustee? What have you been saying to advisors? about the trust registration service? Well, I think just that, you're absolutely right. It's really important to think carefully about who your trustees are. Lots of trustees you know, became trustees 20 years ago, and perhaps they're in a stage in life where being a trustee isn't appropriate for them. I know you, Eddie, have done a lot in the, the vulnerable client space. And I think this is a great opportunity for a review to say, is someone the right client to, or the right individual to be a trustee? Do they need some support? Do they need to say, I've done my time as a trustee for the last 20 years. My younger or my young son or younger son or, you know, family member, whomever. So I think, as you say, the key thing, it's a, an opportunity to review. It's an opportunity to engage and an opportunity to make sure that the right person is doing the right role within that, you know, within that family. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and I think although... The trust registration service um, feels like a, a, a massive administrative task for a lot of uh, trustees and, and their advisors. Um, it, it is a really good opportunity to to have that that conversation uh, to reassess the trust, to reassess what the purpose of the trust is. Um, and I think and I think it should should be seen as a as a really good opportunity to engage um, rather than focusing on the administrative side. No, you're absolutely. I had a conversation with someone recently and 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 they were seeing it's an opportunity to proactively go out to a client and say, this has changed. It's not my business that's changed this. It's a HMRC legislative change. And I'm really getting on the front foot to come in to talk to you about it and talk about what we need to do in some of the changes. And I would can only imagine that would put them in a in a or shed them in a great light from that family. You know, if you think about it, if someone rang me and said that. And I was saying, yeah, they're ahead of the game. They've really put a foot forward and, and take some action. I think it would reflect hugely positively upon them. And for me, that's where the opportunity really lies. And we've got a lot of great content about the trust registration service on TechLink. And, and, and hopefully people uh, can go in and uh, and have a look at that. Um, I, I was looking the other day at our, our TechLink insights. And, and what I've noticed is there's been a big increase in... Uh, interesting corporate investing, and I know that's an area you're particularly uh, focused on. Why do you think there has been that increase in um, corporate investing, and how do you think we can improve our 
advice in this area as as planners? Yeah, really, really good question, actually. Um, so why do I think there's been an, an increase of interest? I think there are more businesses than there were 10 years ago. And as a consequence, corporate financial planning is is growing. More and more people are having little businesses on the side or you know, changing how they how they do things. So yeah, absolutely, there's been a, an increase in the need for corporate financial planning. But I think the other big thing we've seen over the last probably 10 years, maybe slightly more, is actually it's more, I was going to say more difficult, but actually it's more expensive from a tax perspective than ever in getting money out of the company. If you think about some of the changes we've seen, some may remember the the annual allowance was over £250,000, I think, from memory, somewhere around 2007, 2008. So you could put over £250,000 per tax year into your pension. You could also play around with the input periods and, and make it even better. The annual allowance has now dropped to 40 for some people, lower than that. So that has meant that you know, the ability to fund pensions is, is harder. The lifetime allowance has reduced from 1.8 to just over a million. Again, people who would have you know, continued to fund may have had to stop. And we've also seen the increase in dividend tax. Previously, basic rate dividends were tax-free. Now, now it's 7.5%, depending on when you listen to this. It might be um, 8.75, as in the 22-23 tax year. So we've seen a lot of that increasing. And, and the result is more and more companies are, are holding cash, thinking, oh, I'm not sure I want to. You know, I funded my pension. Pension, in my mind, always comes before corporate investing. Um, well, not always, but for the most part. So they've done the pensions, for example, they're holding cash, they don't want to pay high dividend rates and thinking about what else they can do. With the impact of inflation being something like the highest value for 30 years, we're seeing more and more people say, well, I don't want to just get my company, I don't want to take it out, but I don't want to see my corporate cash holdings absolutely decimated by inflation. So we're now looking in that scenario to say, well, let's look at what else can we do? So um, probably a rather long-winded answer to, to a simple question. Why has there been an increase? Lots of reasons, but I think the, the difficulty in getting money out is, is, is the biggest thing. And then to pick up on the second part of that question, which is how can we improve our advice? I was and have been working with a number of advisors across many companies who were looking at particularly clients who are not able to sell their business. Not because there's anything wrong with the business, because but because the nature of the business means there's no market on market for the for the sale. Maybe it's a, a consultancy company, maybe it's a contractor type company. We're seeing a lot of NHS consultants who are doing private work. Businesses that there's not really a business to sell because the person the person is so intrinsic to that business. If they weren't there, there's not really really a lot there. So, what can we do? What can we do for those those clients? First of all, investing the money tax efficiently as a hedge against inflation is is a good thing. Often, mostly this will be within a equity collective, which gives them two main tax advantages. Number one, the uh, they can use historic cost accounting, which means they don't need to report tax on an annual basis. And the dividends are tax-free. So really, really good. Once that 
trade has ceased, once they've stopped their consultancy work or whatever it might be, they've now got a company holding an equity collective. And their question is always, what do I do now? How do I get it out? But one option is to retain that investment even once the trade has ceased. To stop trading, they've now got an equity collective. And effectively, they treat that company rather like a family investment company. The company becomes an investment company. It holds within it an equity collective and it gives them some good opportunities. Number one, they can continue to pay, drip, pay dividends in the basic rate. So we're seeing lots of people say, well, I'll draw 50K of dividends, for example, from the company, which is taxed on them as an individual in the basic rate, 8.75% in future, lower even than entrepreneur's relief. They can also pass some shares to a spouse and have the dividend paid between the two of them, potentially allowing them to take over £100,000 between them and retain basic rate income tax. And, and even better, if they wanted to, if they didn't need the income, they can gift the income through the gifts out of normal expenditure rules. Really important for our clients since pension freedom, it allows them to leave their IHT free or IHT efficient pension alone. So they can draw this as their income for maybe five, 10 years, and their pension then is left alone. Really effective because an IHT tool, as an IHT tool, the pension is almost second to none. What it also takes off the table is the concern around business asset disposal relief, previously entrepreneur's relief, because the company would never be sold or liquidated. So when, even if it doesn't qualify for business asset disposal relief, it's not a major problem because they're never going to sell that business. Now, the business would be a trading, would cease to be a trading company. Therefore, it probably wouldn't qualify for business relief. So the idea with this planning is to, to draw the income from the company during their lifetime. So in a fairly typical world, they might get to, you know, a half a million pounds invested in their business and say, well, I'll draw 50K a year for 10 years, maybe 12 years for some growth, at which point the business is down to nil. I've got 12 years of income. Shut that down. Entrepreneur's relief won't, won't matter because there's no value. Business relief will cease to matter because you've spent it all. And at that point, 12 years hence, you can start to draw on your pension. If the value is such that they can't do that, or you know, let's say they've got two million pounds, they're drawing 30,000 pounds a year, they're probably never going to run out of money. So they could then look at gifting shares, gifting to family, and potentially gifting into trust. So it gives them really the opportunity to make their company funds work harder, try and hedge a little bit against the impact of inflation, whilst also retaining a long-term strategy. That for me is really, really important. We're not just going in and saying, yep, invest your company money, it's great for inflation, though it is, better leaving it in cash on average, but we're also building it into their long-term strategy, which is, is really, really important. And um, and uh, that's that's really really interesting. And um, and I think you know thinking about planning and thinking about uh, also exiting businesses is, is 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 so important. Just sort of bringing it into something that's really topical. Um, there's a lot of noise at the moment around the the cost of living uh, uh, issues, um, and it's becoming a, a real area of concern for people. Um, 
What planning hints and tips uh, have you discussed with financial planners related to, to the cost of living? Yeah, good question. There's lots to think about. I think for one, there's all of the basics. You know, how often do we go back and look at our own budgets? You know, things like that, things that you perhaps become more prevalent as as costs go up. Perhaps you want to do what I did the other day with my children and say, you need to turn the lights off more because I'll get our electricity bills going up 50%. You know, all of the basics, things that perhaps many years ago we would have we would have talked about, we're doing more now in terms of in terms of that. Obviously, it impacts people who've got large cash holdings. You know, if you've got a large cash holding, the val- the true value of that is going to be de- depreciating pretty quick. So encouraging clients really to think about actually over the long term, do you how much cash do you need? It's a great um, door opener, I think, to, to goals-based planning. Are is a client holding too much cash? It may feel almost risk-free, but actually holding too much cash at the moment is a risk. And goals-based planning, particularly using cash flow modeling, you can demonstrate to a client this is what you do need is what you actually need and this section you can afford to put away for the longer term to try and um, create that you know that 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 hedge I mean there's there's obviously going to be a lot around um, clients who are vulnerable I think the vulnerability impact is going to be significant and I know you've done a lot of work in in that uh, that space Eddie and to, to to turn the question perhaps back on you a little bit and what what have you seen in the the vulnerability space yeah I think the the issue of um, the cost of living uh, crisis um, for many people, I think, it, obviously, it puts additional strain on relationships. So, I think one of the one of the things that um, I think planners need to to, to think about is um, it, as financial stress occurs, and if we can mitigate that, but as financial stress occurs, you know, we need to be more on the ball where it, where where there's issues of relationship breakdown. And, and making sure that we consider the implications of that. One of the one of the things always when there's any increased stress is people's attitude to risk, and making sure we keep that under under review. Certainly, um, you know when you when you listen to the lived experience podcast series that we've we've had on vulnerability, um, the one that struck me most was around uh, economic abuse, and uh, and the issues that that women in particular. Uh, uh, are impacted by um, economic abuse. And, um, you know, when people lose jobs uh, and, and controlling of budgets ha- is a real issue for, for a lot of a lot of people. Um, and that's that's something perhaps we, we, we need to be sensitive to. And, and you know, picking up on the podcast series, uh, you know, really, really interesting uh, seven episodes looking at different vulnerabilities. Um, and perhaps that is a good time if you haven't listened to them for people to 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 plug into them. The other area I think that's really important is around digital capability. Um, it, it, it's, it seems so evident now that more and more um, is online and, uh, and, 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 and coming back to the trust registration service, you know, asking people to complete online forms um, is fine for most uh, uh, most trustees, but there will be other trustees who simply are going to struggle doing things online. Um, and so being aware of that and, and, and recognising, yes, encouraging people to, 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 to go online and, and, 
not ask for paper, but also be cognizant of clients who who really struggle uh, in the digital world. And, and, and I think that's that's important, especially if there's allowances, exemptions and reliefs you can only claim by going online, then then it would be great to ensure that clients are, are in that position. Um, I um, I just wanted to ask you because it's, it's it, we always at the end of every podcast ask people for for great ideas and and I was just thinking of all the the, the different hints and tips that you've given Simon um, and I was wondering if if I could only do one of those hints and tips wh- which one do you think I should do? If I had to look at one which would be the most relevant, I'd say it would be the one around and um, combining allowances and exemptions. The business owner market is is more niche. Um, the business relief investment is, is going to be a, a smaller percentage of society. But I would say that every one of your clients, whether they're business owners, whether they're young, whether they're elderly, whatever position they're in, is going to, um, going to need to utilize their allowances and exemptions and will be put at a material disadvantage if they don't or a material advantage if they do. So for me, that's the big one. It applies to, I think, every single person that you would engage with in a different way, but ensuring you've got a process. And going back to where we started, which was if you can add 0.66% per year just by being tax efficient, you know, if you think about what you charge your clients, that's obviously an individual, but 0.66 a year may charge much of you may cover much of your fee it may charge cover more than you charge i don't know what your what your structure is but in just that one small area i think we as a as an advisory population can add quite a lot of value brilliant thank you so much for your time uh, today and sharing your insights with us really really appreciate it and it, as always it's been great to catch up thank you simon thanks eddie The content of this recording is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Temple Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors can take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.